When Vince mentioned an article that a friend had sent him about ugly Jesus, it was not the first that I'd heard of it. I didn't remember at first, but when I started reading this article about ugly Jesus, I realized that this understanding of Jesus as ugly wasn't only a second or third century idea. It's something that I was taught, however briefly, in a Sunday school class in the 1980s. A Sunday school teacher said, it was kind of just an aside really, um, well, we know that Jesus wasn't physically attractive. And even as a kid, I was like, we do, how do we know that? Because she said in Isaiah, in the New International Version, the prophet said, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Like early Christian theologians like Origen, Tertullian, Augustine, my Sunday school teacher looked to Isaiah 53 as a picture of Jesus. It was a picture unlike the picture that might have been hanging in our Sunday school classroom with Jesus' very face, lovely and kindly, his very face an invitation to let the little children come to him. Isaiah 53 was a picture of Jesus that showed it wasn't because of the way he looked that people were drawn to him but in spite of his plainness. I don't know if it was true for my Sunday school teacher, but for many others, historically, this unremarkable plainness took on heft and turned into downright ugliness. What started out as Jesus just not being a head turner, it evolved into a kind of repulsiveness that proved how effective and compelling and true his message was. If people would trek out onto a mount to hear a sermon from a troll like that, well, there must have really been something to it. One of the few places in the ancient world that Jesus is mentioned outside of biblical texts is the Jewish historian Josephus, uh, Flavius Josephus. He was writing on behalf of the Roman Empire, so you've kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. But he was one of the few writers writing outside of the four canonical gospels who mentioned Jesus. It made his text even more valuable than writing that came hundreds of years later. But like I said, he was part of the empire's uh, PR machine, so grain of salt and more grains of salt. Later Christians may have gotten a hold of Josephus's writing and added a few more things that made Jesus look good. Both theologically, like in terms of Jesus' divinity and in terms of like looking good. Because according to some scholarship, Josephus described Jesus like this. He was a man of simple appearance, mature age, dark skin, short growth, three cubits tall, hunchbacked with a long face, a long nose, eyebrows that met above the nose so that spectators could take fright with scanty hair, having a line in the middle of the head after the fashion of the Nazareans with an undeveloped beard. So simple with wrinkles, is that what mature age means? Short, four and a half feet short, bent over, a unibrow, thin hair parted down the middle, and a scraggly beard. Where's that painting? Claiming Isaiah's portrait of the suffering servant as a picture of Jesus, Origen and other theologians doubled down on Jesus' lack of beauty. When arguing the point, 
with another theologian who said that Jesus must have differed from other people. There must have been something about his divinity, something of grandeur or beauty or strength or voice or impressiveness or persuasiveness. Origen said, no, 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 no. He had no form or glory. He had no form or beauty. His form was without honor. His form was inferior to others. And Origen was hanging all of this on Isaiah 53, just like my Sunday school teacher. It is notable that none of the gospel writers talks at all about Jesus' appearance. They were writing from right in the middle of the Greco-Roman world. And that was a culture obsessed with looks. Not just obsessed like our culture is obsessed with good looks, but obsessed with like fake science that claimed you could tell what kind of person you were dealing with by their appearance. Handsomeness and certain traits, certain lines were thought to mean a person was a trustworthy source of wisdom or philosophy or law or religion. So it seems a little fishy that no one writing in that culture mentioned anything about what Jesus looks like. Unless maybe he was ugly? And the thing to do was, well, if you can't say anything nice. When I was a kid, and I'm sure this will shock you, I did a lot of characters around the home, bits, you know, like voices. Uh, I was a theater kid, you know. Um, when I was in high school, I developed this character. I wonder if I've told you about her before. My mother couldn't stand her. Her name was, I need you to hang with me for a second because I know how it sounds. Her name was Ugly Girl, okay? But Ugly Girl was not about anyone else. Ugly Girl was about me. I had fake teeth on a retainer that I could take out and I would tuck up my top lip like this and I would tuck my chin in. And then she was just me. Ugly Girl was just me, just a very nice kind of awkward person uh, who worried about what other people thought of her. It was just me. It, truly had nothing to do with anyone else. I took this character to college with me. I remember eating pizza with friends on the floor of my dorm hall. And then at some point she just kind of like evaporated. I stopped doing the bit. I got implants for my teeth. When I started working with teens later in camps and at after-school programs and then in my previous church, this all served me very well. There was nothing a teenager could say to me that some teenager hasn't already said to me like 25 years ago. There was nothing a teenager could say to me that I hadn't already said to myself. I was heady with the freedom of it. And I loved teenagers. I loved all their weird, mean, insecure, arrogant, brilliant, ignorant stuff. And I could even leverage my former teen weirdness into a kind of relationship capital. I could say to bullies, you know me, I'm a nerd. And they'd say, yeah. And I'd get to ask questions like, what's in it for you? Why are you bullying this version of nerdy Rebecca? <laughs> One year in a confirmation class that I taught, I offered a, a year-end prize. I don't even remember what for. A year-end prize, the opportunity to see a picture of me on the night of my prom with my date, who was a hand puppet that I had handmade a tuxedo for. But I didn't tell them about Ugly Girl. Not because I was ashamed and, and not even because I thought they would take it the wrong way. I just forgot about her so deeply that I never mentioned it. And then one year I was on our annual learning and service trip to Guatemala. I had a bunch of teenagers with me 
and they were mad at me because I was the one who took their phones away for a week. I was with a bunch of teenagers who if they got sick, I was the one who cleaned it up and found Gatorade for them. A bunch of teenagers who were from some of the fanciest high schools in the Chicago area, nerds who I loved and cool kids, one of whom once said to me on a field trip, we're not gonna sing and dance along like idiots on the car ride. I loved that guy too. But he was referring to something specific. On the way down to our field trip, he'd seen my first carload of students kind of singing and dancing along with the radio from his vantage point in the car behind us. And in fact, we had found the same radio at some point, radio station, because I could see in the rear view mirror that we were all in the same rhythm. But when he got into my car for the ride home, he said there was gonna be none of that. No heads thrown back, no veins sticking out of our skinny little necks, singing like idiots. What? You don't know what you're missing, I said. I do know what I'm miss missing is a sense of shame, he said. And I got my like teacher serious face on and I said, what you're missing is a sense of freedom. In Guatemala, I had all these nerds and dorks together uh, and cool kids. And they were all, uh, you know, safely away for the afternoon. And I hopped in the back of the school's little white pickup to run an errand. We rode unsafely, sitting uncomfortably in the back of the pickup on a bunch of shovels. And on the drive back, the, the sun had gone down and it was all dark except for a, a line of light. And we were driving over the Pan American Highway and I knew it was unsafe and it was wonderful. And it was so windy and it was so loud that one of the other adults in the back of the truck said, it's so dry back here, I feel like, and she pushed her lip up on her teeth and all of a sudden, ugly girl came rushing back like I was repossessed by her. And I tucked my lip up and tucked my chin in and told the story about ugly girl and me in high school and the puppet of my prom and, and all of it. And, and they loved her. The people in Guatemala, my friends, loved her. She got a new name, a Spanish name, La Chica Fea, or Solamente La Fea, see? Uh, she was a hit. Every year, we would take these kids out to dinner on the last night of the trip. And the last time I was there, ugly girl, La Fea, came with us. And this same adult leaned over to me over dinner and I had been, you know, speaking in character. And she said to me, Por qué la fea habla español mayor que tú? Why does ugly girl speak better Spanish than you do? And I thought about it and I, I tried to make a joke back and I said, I don't know, uh, probably because she has nothing to lose. And my friend's face got teacher serious. And she said, that's exactly why she speaks better Spanish than you. That's a terrible reason. There's a version of that story about La Fea, where she stays in Guatemala. La Fea vive in Guatemala. And I come back here and live my life. Yo vivo aquí. But I don't know about that version anymore. The way it divides up her and me. The way it makes whoever I am my true self and La Fea just some added on infirmity. A few people have tried to convince me over the years not to tell that story. They find it cruel. They, they can't hear or don't believe me when I say it really wasn't about anyone but me. There was no one who looked like that or talked like that in my life. It was just me exercising my own demons in a culture obsessed with beauty. 
who thinks it has something to say about who we are. It was just me challenging everyone around me. What if I looked like this? Would you be friends with me? Would you find anything I say of value? Would you find anything about me effective or compelling or true? In one extreme example, after I told that story, ugly girls physicality reminded a listener of someone in their own family born with a, a facial deformity. Deformity. I was sorry to hear of their cousin's struggle and pain, but it did not make me want to stop telling the story. Their cousin, the way their cousin looked, it's, it's real and it's unique to her and it's important. The way their cousin looks is real and has shaped her life. It has been her reality. And, and the story of ugly girl, of, of ugly me, of all the awkward kids, of any kind of pain or struggle, those are real and important to the people who live them. Jesus, by the way, over the centuries got taller. Three cubits, four and a half feet. He stretched to five one, he stretched to five six. And by the time he got to be lumberjack Jesus, like in the 1920s in the US, he was strapping and who knows, over six feet tall. Those piercing blue eyes looking down on plainer, shorter people with an inviting kindness. What if we shrunken back down? Shorter, shorter. His eyebrows getting thicker again and meeting in the middle, his hair getting scraggly, his facial hair a first century middle school neck beard. He's not standing up straight and tall, swinging an ax for God's sake. He bends, he stoops until he's hunched over. And he's at the level of a woman he met in the synagogue who spent her whole life stooped over. And he's at the level of high schoolers, no, middle schoolers, all the ones with nothing to lose but a sense of freedom. He's at the level of little children who, whether or not adult spectators took fright, wanted to be near him. What if we shrunk him down smaller yet to a young plant, shorter, smaller, a tender shoot, a nubbly root, vulnerable and inconspicuous more than anything, not attractive, not unattractive, just a source of possibility and growth and hope and healing, nothing with majesty or form, but nonetheless so desirable because surely he has borne our infirmities. He has carried our diseases, wounded, crushed, in a way that makes us whole, in a way that gives us life. 